Hello and welcome to Mission Life. My name is Jeff and I'm your host. Thank you for listening. Did you know that gap years have become so common there is actually a national organization tracking how many young people take a year or two off from school to go serve in another country? The American Gap Association even reports that students that delay college to serve somewhere else actually perform better once they do enroll in college. I recently sat down with a friend of mine named Sarah Henderson. She's a young lady who's taken a gap year or two after high school to go serve in Antipolo, Philippines. She just completed her first year, and so I wanted to know more about Sarah. I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. This is part one of an interview with Sarah, so let's listen in to what Sarah has to say. So let's just start, Sarah, with who you are and uh, where you're from and some, a little bit of your background. Okay. Hi, my name is Sarah. I'm 21 years old. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and I graduated from Dunwoody High School. Growing up, I was very involved in church-led mission trips, starting in inner-city Atlanta and also going with DBC to Durango, Colorado. My first international mission trip in 2007 was to Ottawa, Canada, from there, I've served in Budapest, Hungary, Toronto, Canada, and also a nine-month mission trip to Nicaragua, the Philippines, and Malawi, Africa. And I'm currently serving in the Philippines right now. Talk about the ministry you're serving with now. Okay, so I serve in Manila, Philippines. It's a nonprofit Christian organization, and it's called Children's Garden. So Children's Garden is a residential care home that provides shelter, education, discipleship training, medical, and other services. So our heart is to reach teenagers 12 to 18. We have a boys' home that's been established since 2007, and we have about 20 boys there right now. And last August of 2014, we opened up Gateway to Hope which is a home for street girls that I've worked with for the past year. How'd you get connected to Children's Garden? And it's in Antipolo, am I saying that right? Yeah, uh, city. <laughs> it's like in the hills. In the hills, okay, it's about, I don't know, it's uh, east of uh, Manila, yes. all right? Okay, so how did you find, how did you make your way from Dunwoody to <laughs> Antipolo yeah, City? Well, um, in 2012, I graduated from high school. I was really praying about college and it really just didn't feel right and kept praying and I felt the Lord lead me to take a year off. Okay. So I then went on a nine month mission trip and our second country was the Philippines and we lived there for three months and our ministry contact was Children's Garden, the boys home. So my team and myself, we lived there for three months and automatically I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the ministry, the staff, just everything about it and in my heart I knew there was more than just the three months that I spent there. The Children's Garden uh, serves children, but you also do a lot of, you do other outreaches in the community. So talk about some of the communities that, that the ministry serves. Yeah, absolutely. So the big heart of CG, Children's Garden, is to grow these boys and girls to be followers and disciples of Christ. And so a lot of our outreaches, the boys and girls will lead. We do lots of community development. We're currently working on farming, agriculture, and really helping communities that way. We serve a community only a few minutes away. It's called Santa Lucia, and it's a very dark part of the city 
A lot of the families we've reached there are dealing with drug abuse, prostitution, stealing, and even trafficking. And so we also have another community nearby. It's called Marikina Bridge. And all of these families live under this bridge on less than $3 a day. We also serve through medical missions, feeding programs. The boys and girls lead vacation Bible schools during the summertime and also back to school projects. So what, what sort of situations are you running into in these different? Mm -hmm. The biggest situations um, is just poverty, obviously, but it's just a cycle. So all of these kids that, they, that we meet, their parents were in poverty, their grandparents. And so we come in and say, we would love to serve them, but we want to make a lasting impact, not just come and bring food and then leave and then come back another month. So we do scholarship programs, and we're really trying to impact one person at a time. And I really think there's power in that, because if you affect one person and give them an education, they go to college, that affects their family. And from that, it affects the community and so forth. So we really try to be proactive with bringing these communities livelihood skills. We really push the fathers to be fathers, to find work, and also the mothers to be talented, to know how to bake, how to make bracelets, to sell. And so we really try to impact them. How do you answer the question that people might ask you? Why are you, why are you doing this? Um, I would definitely say it's about perspective. At the end of the day, all of our lives are so short, and it says that time and time again in the Bible, and just how much God deserves. He deserves us to be devoted to Him. And at the end of the day, what I do is kind of like scraps, giving it to like our Heavenly Father. Like My life, what I have devoted, is just scraps to Him because He's so holy and He's so worthy. But I would say it's worth it. Um, this past year has been hard ministry-wise, but at the end of the day, I've never seen God move in more ways than in the Philippines. I see God move radically changing lives, radically changing these boys and girls' lives from gang violence and prostitution and sin and like just being captive just like slaves, just being tied down to their sin, but just seeing God's grace and His mercy radically change their lives. And that's why I do it. It's worth it. It's worth being, it's worth sacrificing my earthly desires that won't be eternal to bring glory to God, not by things that I do, but just seeing God work and being able to be like, okay, God, like, show me what to do. I want to see you move through me. How did you prepare for this? You know, how, how, do you, how did you see the Lord preparing you, maybe even through childhood or through your church or family? And then what did you do leading right up to it to prepare for something like this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I really do love looking back because I feel like if you write down your life story, you see God's faithfulness because you can't see it in the moment, but you look back and you're like, wow, God, like I didn't know that those things prepared me for where I am now. The biggest thing would be putting mentors in my life. So I have been blessed by so many people growing up, just Sunday school leaders, neighbors, pastors, that have really poured into me, not only on a Sunday, but on the weekdays 
that have really took time and said, I'm interested in you and I know that you can have a life that glorifies the Lord and I want to I want to help you find your identity in Christ. And there have been so many women that have really helped me with that to really find who I am and my passion. And yeah, that's the biggest thing. It's just people that the Lord has placed in my life that at the moment, I just thought that they were my teacher or my youth minister. But at the end of it, they're father figures and mother figures, and they've impacted my life so much now. Leading right up before you go, though, how do you prepare? You went there for three months with uh, Adventures in Missions, and so you got an introduction, and you, that's where you felt the calling to come back. But how did, did you do anything to prepare right before you left? So I was here a full year after my nine-month mission trip before I headed back to the Philippines, and the biggest thing was prayer. I think you need to bathe everything in prayer, and that's what I did. And it helps so much to hear the Lord's voice more before being in the Philippines and the chaos of ministry to be able to know how to take time away and just be sensitive to the Spirit. And the biggest thing is prayer, to pray for protection, for wisdom, pray for your heart, because it's very easy to have selfish, selfish ambitions or selfish desires but to constantly refocus and give it back in prayer to the Lord. You talked about prayer, but was there a favorite? Do you have a, a verse or a passage that you've called upon, or do you kind of claim? Yeah, a there's a lot that I've, in Deuteronomy, it talks about the Lord going before you, mm -hmm. and I needed that verse in a few months of culture shock and being like, okay, God, like, what did, what did I get myself, like, what did you call me to? And being overwhelmed but just leaning on that, and also the Great Commission is a very common verse, but what stood out to me was the very last part of it, saying, I will be with you always, and how powerful that is that when God calls us, no matter where that is, whether it's down the street or to another country, that He's there, that He's gone before us, and He's with us every step of the way. But what do you enjoy most? About if you think about it, and we like our most and biggest questions in America, you know, somebody told me that. <laughs> uh, what, what, what do you enjoy about being a missionary in the Philippines? Yeah. Um, well, being a missionary, you find so much joy in serving. So there's a verse in Acts 20, and it talks about you are more blessed to give than to receive. And I just remember growing up doing mission trips in Atlanta, just being so joy, just having so much joy in my heart to serve. And my favorite part of serving the Philippines is the Filipinos. I just love that culture. I love the people. They're some of the most hardworking, determined, loving people that I've ever met. And so when I do go out and do ministry, it doesn't really feel like a job. It feels like I'm just ministering to my family, that I'm just loving on people that I call my brothers and sisters. And so that's my favorite part of the Philippines is the people, just how genuine they are and how open and vulnerable. And you can be on the street talking to kids or adults and all of a sudden they just pour out their life story to you. And you're like, wow, <laughs> I just met you like five minutes ago. And then there's just so many opportunities to love these people and encourage them. What have been some defining moments, you know, uh, your first year, what would you say? Um. Well, the 
first one that I had, it was kind of a hard situation at first. I went to the Philippines June of 2014, and in August, I was robbed by someone that I was ministering to. And it was in a matter of five minutes, and they stole everything that I owned, all of my valuables. And that was hard, and that broke my heart. But during that, I realized that at the end of the day, it's up to God that I'm supposed to remain faithful and that the Lord has control of the outcome. And I'm very grateful. A lot of my coworkers were telling me, Sarah, pray that you don't become bitter from that situation, which it's very easy for missionaries to be hurt. And over time you become bitter or over time you try to draw away. But I'm so grateful because through that situation, it even gave me more of a passion to reach those girls, to reach the girls and boys that are so lost that they can't trust people that are so confused and they need love. And so I feel like that was the biggest defining moment that the Lord really was like, Sarah, this is what ministry looks like. Are you gonna continue to serve me? Are you all in? And so I'm grateful for it. In the moment it was hard, but looking back, I learned so much through that. I just want to take a brief break in the conversation. You know, Sarah mentioned an organization called Adventures in Missions. That's the group she traveled the world with and who introduced her to the Philippines. If you'd like to know more about Adventures in Missions, just go to adventures.org. They're a great group and I highly recommend them. If you are the parent of someone though that's considering a gap year, maybe to go serve cross-culturally, let me recommend a book to you called Parents of Missionaries. How to thrive and stay connected when your children and grandchildren serve cross-culturally. You can find it on Amazon, and I think it'll be a helpful encouragement to you. How did that situation wrap up? How did it end? Is it, is it resolved yet? Or? Yeah. Um, A few days later, we were able to track my phone and we were able to find the person. And from that, we got the person from a government shelter. And so we were able to take her back to that shelter and still minister to her on our weekly outreaches there. Um, I think the biggest thing was a week later after I finally processed everything being able to talk to her and being able to find the root reason of why she did it. And it was very healing and therapeutic for her and for me. It was good to talk to her about her future because she got really lucky that she did all of that to me. And she was already in a juvenile type center. And I explained that she's almost an adult and that she needs to be careful about those decisions. But we forgive her and we still love her and we still want to minister to her and she's currently back with her family. Her family was able to get her out of that government care facility, but overall the Lord, I mean, the Lord had his hand on it the entire time. Um, 
and it was just it was a good learning experience and well, I'm curious what was her response her reaction to being found and then forgiven yeah um well when she was found it was a very strange reaction because she ran up and hugged one of our staff members and I feel like if I was to do that I'd run away but she was under lots of drugs and she was not in a good part of the town but a few days later when she was finally off all of the drugs and they were out of her system she kind of was astonished like she was very quiet she didn't understand um, at first she thought we were going to press charges for everything that was stolen but I explained no like we're here to give you grace and then I explained more in detail that it wasn't the material things for me it was the connection so like with my phone that's how I connect to my family who's thousands of miles away so I kind of had to change her perspective from it's not just stuff it's how I talk to my family and friends like it's how I raise support, it's how, and that helped her realize why it hurt me so deeply. What do you think you you took away from that experience? I think the biggest thing was realizing what the ministry really was about. Um, the kids are very grateful, but at the same time, we're working with kids that have passed that we don't know about. We're working with teenagers who steal, who are part of gangs, who, I mean, imaginable things that they've done in the past, but knowing that even if this happens again, that the Lord is in control and that it's worth it, that it's a ministry that I still want to be a part of no matter the ups and downs and things like that. I think that's the biggest thing. I think that the lesson God taught me was this is what ministry is. Are you all in? Because I want you to be all in but you need to jump in the water. You talked earlier about how uh, the people you're, you're encountering have really become family to you. They've, they've invited you in, they've shared their life stories, they're open, uh, probably very family and community oriented. Are there particular individuals that have, have had a significant impact on you in your first year? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first off, I would say my coworkers. So we have, a little over 12 people in total that work for Children's Garden, both the boys and girls home. And with their salaries, it's not like they're making a hundred grand a year. They're making very small salaries, but to see how devoted they are, first to Christ, just to make sure that they're on the same page, to make sure that they're connected to the Lord and then once they are and once they're walking with Christ, they pursue these boys and girls and they love them so genuinely. It's their life. They're, they have such amazing servants' heart, hearts. They encourage me whenever I dealt with being homesick, whenever I dealt with culture shock, they really wrap their arms around me and was like, we're family, we can do this. So I would say all of the staff, Sharon, has a lot of wisdom. Sharon, she's Filipino. She's the director of Children's Garden. She's worked with street kids for 14 years now. And just her heart and just to see the wisdom she knows. And I think that's the biggest thing is the people I work with have had the biggest impact on me this past year. You talked about 
culture shock and moments uh, when you, you think about returning home, that's a common experience for missionaries, especially the first year to two years, uh, you know. And so what, what, what were some of those culture shock, you know, moments that you had? What was going on there? Yeah. Um, I think from anywhere, like just being in the middle of the town and realizing no one speaks English and realizing, yeah, there's not blonde white people around. It's all... Filipino people and being everything's different there the transportation on jeepneys on tricycles on motorcycles the pollution just the system of how things are done America I mean your food gets there in a minute and if it doesn't you start complaining but you live in a third world country and things aren't as fast and it's just different so the first few months you just have to transition your entire mindset to be like, okay, this is good. It's not wrong. It's just different. And I just need to change my schedule around those things. And it does get easier with learning the language and it gets easier being there longer and being able to be like, okay, this is normal. Like, yeah, it just becomes your life. Yeah, you adjust. Um, you mentioned the language. It's pronounced Tagalog, is yes. that right? Mm -hmm. And it's a mixture of several languages. It sounds like I've heard some of it. And, <laughs> you, you know, what, it's Spanish, right? Yeah, a mixture mm -hmm. of Spanish, some English, and then mm -hmm. I guess native Filipino yeah, languages. Exactly. So, mm -hmm. uh, and would you? How have you progressed in the language? Um, the first few months were rocky, um, but I used Rosetta Stone in the states, and I still use that every night before I went to bed, just for a few minutes. The biggest thing was being immersed. I think that's my biggest recommendation for people who want to learn a language, is you have to be immersed in it. So finally, I think at my fourth month, I told everybody, like, just speak Tagalog to me, like I want to learn. And then you have a lot of motivation too, when you need to talk to one of the girls or the boys and they don't understand any English. And so it's like, okay, like if I'm going to serve here, I need to talk to them. So that was a big motivation is just wanting to serve more, wanting to really be immersed in the culture and language. And it's hard, but I, it's an interesting language. I like speaking it now, but yeah, still learning. But overall, I've gotten most of it. Well, have you had any embarrassing moments in your first year with the language or the culture or done anything, you know, that uh, you can speak of? Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> when you speak Tagalog, it kind of sounds like gibberish, like the little minions that just like... <laughs> 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 but when, you, when you're when you practicing it, you'll cuss like multiple times. So I've done that in a few Bible studies at prison. I'll be like talking about God's grace and all of a sudden they're like... <gasps> You just cuss. And it's like, what? How did... Because it's just a tiny syllable that changes a word, like a nice word, to a cuss word. So I've had a few moments like that. Um, an interesting culture. One of um, the staff, her name is Nanai. It was her birthday. She cooks at CG. And my friend, who was also American, and she was there visiting, we bought her flowers in a cute basket. So we bring this to her for her birthday, and we go, happy birthday. And her look, like the look on her face was very confused. 
And later we found out that that exact flower was for funerals. So it wasn't like a happy birthday <laughs> thing. It was for funerals. But just overall, I mean, people laugh and you can move on from it. But They understand you're not from the culture. You know. <laughs> yeah. We do the same thing here when people come to the States. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. Thank you for listening to part one of our interview with Sarah Henderson. To connect with Sarah or to learn more about Children's Garden of the Philippines, just check them out on Facebook or their website at childrensgarden.ph. For a summary of this conversation, see my show notes at jeffreams.com. Once again, thank you for listening to Mission Life, where we seek to live the mission of Jesus every day.